Well, good morning, Calvary Satterton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. It's uh, good to be with you and see you this morning. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but summer is over. Maybe not officially, but certainly practically and in every other way. There are only 105 shopping days left till Christmas, so some of you need to get moving. Now, let me ask you a really embarrassing question. How many of you have purchased at least one Christmas gift already? You know, you are sick. Let me tell you. I hope that was mine, by the way, that you purchased. Well, the school buses are running. I was reminded uh, how annoying that is, uh, riding behind school buses. High school, college, and professional football is underway. Yes. Notre Dame and Ohio State both got beat last night. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that we even get applause for that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that happens in fall is that Calvary Church runs on all cylinders. Uh, we run things throughout the year, but because of vacation schedules and because of travel arrangements and college students and all that, usually during the summer, things kind of slow down a bit and we kind of rest. Well, that is not true when it comes to the fall. And so what we need to do as we kind of kick off our fall ministry year is to remind ourselves kind of why we do what we do. And so I've been wrestling with, okay, so how do I remind us all, how do I remind myself and everybody else why we do what we do? How can we be energized and excited about what Jesus has done and how we're going to serve this next ministry season? And then I was reminded, hey, I know how I'll do it. I heard a preacher this past summer ask and answer a question that was deep and profound. And we're going to follow his lead. Here was the question. Would Jesus go on Shark Tank? And what would he say? So we're going to follow his lead, and we're going to see what Jesus would say and do on Shark Tank. How many of you have seen Shark Tank? By the, not the aquarium, the TV show? All right, well, just to remind you or show you, here we go with Shark Tank. All right, here's what Shark Tank's all about. A group of inventors or a group of entrepreneurs or a group of marketers have an idea. They have a dream. And all they need is funding. They need startup costs. They need expansion costs. And so they go on to Shark Tank and stand before a group of venture capitalists trying to persuade them to give them the money to start up or to expand their business. Well, would Jesus go on Shark Tank? What would he say if he went on? I'm not sure if he would or not, but we're going to kind of follow that a little bit, and we're going to see how we can use those steps to talk about what, what we're all about and why we need to invest in what the gospel's all about and saying to us. The first thing that the, that the people on Shark Tank always have to ask and answer is, what's the objective? Now, often they say, what's the product? What are you selling? Well, Jesus isn't selling a product, and we're not marketing anything. But we can ask, what is the objective? Well, I think we could state the objective like this. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, we often associate lots of religious language with that. A few weeks ago, we actually looked at the, at the story that precedes that statement of purpose. The story that precedes that is the story of Zacchaeus. 
And so at the end of the story, Jesus says, now this is an illustration. What happened in Zacchaeus' life is an illustration of what my mission is all about. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. And in that story, we see the transition, we see the transformation of Zacchaeus. A while ago, we used the uh, language of the mission of Jesus is to remember what's been dismembered, remember? And so we said God created all human beings to live in community, in connection with him. Well, when human beings decided to go their own way, there was a dismemberment. They were cut off from that relationship with God. They were cut off from one another. They were cut off from their main purpose and mission. What does Jesus do? He comes to remember, reconnect people with God, reconnect people with each other, and reconnect people with their original mission and purpose. And that's exactly what happened in Zacchaeus' life, right? He was disconnected from God, not allowed to go to the synagogue. He was not allowed to worship. He was disconnected from people. Everybody hated him because he was working for the Roman authorities, swindling people out of their hard-earned retirement money. And he was disconnected from God's purpose for his life. And he was trying to fill his own pockets and his own coffers, not living to be a blessing and share that with others. By the time you get to the end of the story, Zacchaeus is reconnected to God. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. He's reconnected with people. Now he's returning what he took by fraud. He's generously giving of his assets to benefit other people. And that puts him back on track with the original mission. So the transformation that we see in Zacchaeus is an illustration of the objective of Jesus' ministry. So maybe Jesus would stand before the venture capitalist and they would say, well, what's your objective? And Jesus would say, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to reconnect people that have been disconnected from God and from other people. They've been disconnected by anger and discouragement and fear and sin and hatred. And I'm going to reconnect them to God, reconnect them to each other, and reconnect them with their original purpose and intention. That's a pretty good objective, isn't it? And by the way, that's why we do what we do at Calvary Church. I can't think of something to make me more excited than being part of what Jesus started, reconnecting people with God, with each other, and with their original mission and purpose. That's why we do what we do. That's why a thousand people volunteer. That's why we give sacrificially. That's why we serve by sending resources to to, um, Texas and to Florida. That's why we do things in Philadelphia. That's why we serve locally. We want to experience and then extend what Jesus started. That's the objective. Well, the next issue that usually comes up is, well, what's the structure? What's the organizational structure? Usually organizations, uh, you know, kind of have a flow chart of how that works. One of my favorite places to look at the organizational structure of how we're supposed to operate is Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we could take forever, really, kind of looking at that chapter. I want to read a few verses and just give you the highlights of the structure. So Jesus himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. What's the structure? Body. That's the structure. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter, it becomes crystal clear. Jesus is the head of the body. How did we say that? Uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, what kind of church are we going to be? We're going to be a do-whatever-he-says kind of church. You know what that means? Jesus is the head. If Jesus is the head, he's the commanding agent. He's the one that dictates what the body is going to do. We're a do-whatever-Jesus-says kind of church. Jesus is the head. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, knits the members of the body together as a body. Your body's really screwed up if your hand doesn't want to do what the rest of the body needs. If your feet are going to take the body where the rest of the body doesn't want to go... I mean, our bodies sometimes get like that and you need surgery or you need something to have. Well, sometimes communities are like that. So when, so when the scripture says the structure is a body, we need to remember that we are together, united, but different. What makes your body a body? Unity and diversity. Lots and lots of different members doing lots and lots of different things but kind of like an orchestra or a team serving together complementary functions, but unity on purpose and intention. That's what a body does. Healthy bodies, mature bodies, which is what we're shooting for, complementary function, lots of diversity, unity of purpose, unity of foundation, unity of direction and mission. That's how it works. Now, how do you know where you fit? Notice the last uh, phrase up there as each part does its work. Well, we uh, had a thousand or so volunteers, and you saw many of them just a few minutes ago. But there are a lot of other parts that aren't doing their part, right? What's, what, what does the illustration say? As each part does its work. If you read the chapter and dive in a little deeper, you discover the Holy Spirit gifts and encourages and gives passions to individuals. He then calls those individuals together to function as the body. And in that diversity and unity, there's synergy and power as each part does its work. So how do you know what you should be doing in this body? How do you know where you should be volunteering? How do you know how you should be spending your time? By understanding how you're wired, how you're gifted, what your skill sets are, what your passions are, and in serving in those particular areas. So here's the idea. The church should be administered by administrated administrators, those gifted administration, taught by teachers, led by leaders, shepherded by shepherds. Not taught by shepherds, administrated by leaders, encouraged by sharks. That's not how it works. So we need to figure out how we're wired, and you do that by asking other people, and then working in those particular places. You shouldn't become something that you're not. If you're a shark, don't try to be a lamb. Now, we're not going to let you work in the nursery if you're a shark, but be a shark. And if you're a lamb, we'll let you work in the nursery. But we're not going to let you do shark kind of things, right? And so you've got to know how you're wired, know how you're gifted, know how your passions rise and fall, and then work as part of the body as each part does its work. So what's the structure? Jesus is the head. We're a do-whatever-he-says kind of church. As each member does its part, understanding their place in the body and putting their gifts and skills and resources and passions into play with a unified purpose and goal, pulling and working in the same direction. That's the structure. That's cool, right? 
Well, here's another one eh, that the sharks would often ask. Well, what's the strategy? Like, what have you tried so far? How, what, what, how, many, how many pieces of this have you sold? What have you done? Well, amazingly, the Bible gives us the strategy, and we periodically bring out the strategy and dust it off. So maybe we've never answered the questions like this before, but none of this should really be new to you, right? We're just stitching together the main themes that we regularly talk about because there's one objective to the gospel, there's one structure, and then there's a strategy that we all need to kind of be part of. One famous place where the structure is mentioned is in Acts 1.8. So here's what Acts, 1, here's what Acts 1.8 says. Jesus is saying to those uh, first group of disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, when we walk through Acts, I gave you three simple words to remember how that power structure works. I know you all forgot the words, but I'll remind you. Here, here's how the whole flow of Acts works and how the flow of this kingdom work and this strategy works. Up, down, out. Remember? Jesus goes up in Acts 1. He ascends. The Holy Spirit comes down to enable and empower. And the church goes out. If there's no up, there's no down. If there's no down, there's no out. It's up, down, out. Those are the three keys that we just continue. Jesus goes up. The Spirit comes down for that unity, knitting us into a body kind of purpose, but not just knitting us into a body, enabling and empowering us so we will be witnesses. Notice it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, another uh, thing, another way we've talked about the same strategy, when we walk through the book of 2 Timothy, we use 2 Timothy 2.2 as kind of our theme verse, which is kind of the same thing as Acts 1.8, and it goes like this. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy, the things that you've received from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to reliable people who will in turn tell the others also. So here's the flow. Jesus handed the gospel baton to Paul. Paul handed the baton to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, now hand it to reliable people and they will hand it to others also. And those others gave it to others and others and others. And we are now part of that other group now. All of those that have come before us have finished their leg of the race. It's our time to run. We've got to run well and pass the baton. That's the strategy. I'll let you know a little secret that um, is actually a little daunting. There is no plan B. There's no plan B. If we drop the baton, if we don't run well, this whole thing could end with us and our generation. Now, God's superintending the whole deal, right? So that's not going to happen. He promises. But humanly speaking, we've got to run well and pass the baton. Too much is at stake to not be doing that. So what's the strategy? Jesus goes up. The Spirit comes down, enables and empowers. Now we go out as witnesses. And how do we talk about our win? We relevantly communicate the themes of the gospel and we live out relevant applications of the gospel so people can experience that grace, so people can be touched by it in their lives by experiencing the love and service that we give to them, hopefully transitioning that to the ultimate love and service that only Jesus can provide. What's the strategy? Up, down, out. The relay race, passing the baton and running well. 
Well, we've got another question that typically comes up in Shark Tank, and that's the question of resources. Resources. One of my favorite parts of the New Testament is Matthew 25. In particular, Matthew 25, the parable Jesus tells about the talents. Now, let me just kind of review the parable without reading the parable to you. There's this master who's obviously very, very wealthy. He's you know, an owner, he's a CEO of a pretty big corporation, and he's getting ready to go on a pretty long trip. But he wants his uh, resources to be working while he's gone. So he brings in all of the vice presidents, and he says, okay, guys, I am now giving to you a significant investment, and while I'm going away, put my investment to work, right? Now, here's something that we often forget when we think about the parable because sometimes uh, these things don't jive with what we often think of we should talk about in church. The master expects a profit. When he gives out the resources, he expects when he comes back, there's going to be more than what he left them with. We know that because the one guy who was afraid of the master, he went out and buried the treasure, and when, he came, and when the master comes back, he just gives him what he left, and the CEO isn't real happy, right? He says, well, take it from him and give it to the guy that has the most. He expects a return. He expects an investment. Now, for you and for me, we're not talking about a, you know, a prosperity gospel. We're not talking about sowing this and getting money in return. We are saying that we are stewards. And as stewards, we take the gifts that God's given, gifts of time, gifts of talents, gifts of uh, resource, gifts of money, and we put them into play, expanding them and asking God to use them in ways that continue and expand what Jesus started. You know, if you think through that parable, there are really two different ways of looking at things, and it usually comes back to identity. So let's ask a couple of questions related to the identity of owner and steward. Now, here's the first one. An owner says this, my resources are my resources. The steward says, my resources have been entrusted to me by another. Where are you on that one? My resources are my resources. No, what I have has been entrusted by another. The other is the owner of my resources. Well, here's the next one. I will use my resources however I like. That's what an owner says. A steward says, I will use my resources to advance the mission and objectives of the owner. I will use the resources that I've been entrusted with to advance the mission of the owner. And an owner says, I'm not accountable to anyone for what I do with my resources. A steward says, I'm accountable to the one who's entrusted the resources to me, and one day I'll give an accounting of what I did with the resources. So here's the question. Are you more of an owner or a steward? Are you an owner or a steward? Jesus would say to the venture capitalist, I'm all about producing stewards. My objective is remembering and reconnecting things that have been disconnected. The structure is a body where your place of service is determined by the gifts that my spirit gives. The strategy is living well, the way Jesus calls us to live, and passing the baton just like he did. And the resources required 
come as God gives them to us, we hold them loosely because we hold him tightly. Some of you are thinking, Charles, every sermon you ever preach is in this sermon. That's exactly right. Because if you're talking about the big pieces of what Jesus is about and why we do what we do, it's all here. it better be here if it's the main things. So it's kind of like this. Jesus is all about producing philanthropists. Filling those lives of philanthropists with tons and tons and tons of stuff. Jesus gives us grace. Jesus gives us gifts. He gives us time. He gives us energy. He gives us spiritual gifts and talents and skill sets and relationships and network and houses and cars and jobs. He gives us all this stuff graciously. And when you recognize he's the owner and you're just the steward, you then say, now how can I take all that Jesus has given me and put it into play to advance what he's about and what he's doing rather than what I'm about and what I'm doing. Are you an owner or are you a steward? That's the question. Well, there's another question that uh, eventually would come up by the venture capitalist, and that would be, uh, so what's the culture? What culture is Jesus trying to create? It doesn't matter what organization you're part of. I can tell you the leaders of that organization wrestle with corporate culture or they need to be wrestling with corporate culture. We talk about culture at Calvary Church, the staff culture, congregational culture. My guess is your your place of work, your office, your shop, they talk about corporate culture. What's the culture here? What values are lifted up? What things are put down? What's punished and what's rewarded? All those kind of things are kind of part of the culture. What's the culture that Jesus came to plant? Well, there are a lot of places we could go for this, but one of my favorites is the beginning of Luke 15. And the reason I want to look at the beginning of Luke 15, because by looking at the first couple of verses, I can talk about the whole chapter. Luke 15 is often called the lost and found chapter. And there's a parable in there about a shepherd that has a hundred sheep, and one of them kind of wanders away. Or Yeah, one of them wanders away. Then the second parable is about a woman who has ten valuable coins. One of the coins gets lost, and she goes on to search for the one coin that's missing. And it ends with a father who has two sons, and one of the sons gets lost, and the search is for that son. So it's kind of the lost and found chapter. But do you know how the chapter begins? Here's how it begins. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What kind of crowd does Jesus draw? Well, there's a crowd of religious people. They're like the Pharisees, right, teachers of the law. Then a whole group of sinners, right, people living off the rails. And often, you know, those saints and those sinners often don't kind of hang out together. You see that here. And the real religious people, the the religious honchos, they're all ticked off that Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. And he's even eating with them, right? Because when you share a meal with someone, you're inviting them into their life and being part of what they're doing and they're part of what you're doing. And then the lost and found chapter flows from this beginning. You know what kind of culture Jesus came to give? A culture of acceptance. A culture where everybody's welcome. Regardless of their gender, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their age, regardless of their educational level, regardless of their financial status, 
regardless of their zip code, they're all welcome and accepted, just like God welcomes and accepts us. I don't have to tell you that we live in a world that draws lines of separation, and our world divides over everything and then some, right? We draw lines, and we feel more comfortable. The smaller the group we can get, and the people think like us, they eat like us, they like the music we like, everything's exactly the same. That's not the culture Jesus is doing. So here at the beginning of the Lost and Found chapter, there are really religious people there, people that have memorized big swaths of the Bible, and there are people there probably don't even know what a Bible is. There are people that are dressed well and people that are barely dressed. There are people of all ages and socioeconomic levels, and Jesus welcomes them all. That's the culture that Jesus came to establish, and that's the culture that we need to live out here at Calvary Church. Everybody's welcome. We live in a culture of acceptance. We used to have a a motto that said, people matter to God. I hesitate saying that because some of you want to go back to that. We're not going back to that, all right? We used to have a motto, people matter to God. People still matter to God, even though that's not our motto anymore, all right? But a couple questions follow that we need to kind of regularly ask when it comes to the culture and that of acceptance. Here's one. People matter to God. Which people? Answer, all people. So let's try that, all right? People matter to God. Which people? All people, that's right. All ages, genders, political views, educational levels, all people matter to God. How much do those people matter to God? Enough for God to send Jesus, his son, to take their place and die for their sin. That's how much they matter. So maybe here's the real question. People matter to God. Do they matter to you? Which people matter to you? Don't yell it out. Just sit and think. Which people matter to you? I know, if you're anything like me, some people matter a whole lot more to you than other people. And maybe something in that is human and we can't change, but I know this. That is what Jesus wants to change. And he wants all people to matter to us because all people matter to him. And if Jesus matters primarily to us, then all people will matter to us. And how much do they matter to him? Enough for him to give their life. How much should people matter to us so that we sacrificially put our gifts and resources into play to benefit and bless them? Acceptance. What are something else that needs to be part of this culture? And that is a recognition that we're all screwed up. I read a really interesting quote the other day. And so I, I've been waiting all week to share this with you. Um, if you want to be welcomed by our world, you have to convince people. Convince people who are as rich as Warren Buffett, as smart as Albert Einstein, as strong as Andre the Giant, and as hot as Ryan Gosling or Jessica Alba. Now here's the second part. Jesus is starting a community where you can be as strong as Warren Buffett, as smart as Andre the Giant, as hot as Albert Einstein, and not resemble Ryan or Jessica in any way at all. Everybody's welcome. You know, sometimes we fall prey into, you need a certain educational IQ, smarts kind of level, you need a certain strength level, you need a certain look, you need a certain coolness factor. Jesus is starting a community with all kinds of people. Everybody's welcome. And when they all get together, we recognize we're all screwed up. I once heard of a church 
whose motto was not people matter to God? Here was the motto of the church. A successful church for successful people. I'm not joking. On their sign. We're a successful church for successful people. I sure hope that sign could never be hung at Calvary Church. Because we're a church of deeply flawed people who form a community and experience change by Jesus because he's the only one that can bring about those changes. Our culture is a culture of acceptance and it's a culture of admission that we really do all have problems. But it's a culture where transformation happens regularly. And we need opportunities to hear those stories and be part of those stories. That's why we encourage you all to get connected with people. We don't say get connected and go to next steps and think about a home group and join a smaller group. We don't do that just so we can kind of tabulate bigger numbers in rooms. We do that because it's in those contexts where you get to know people and you learn their story and you see what God's doing in their lives and you get to share what God's doing in your life and together all that stuff comes together and we're knit together more deeply. But you got to know each other to do that. So what's the culture? It's a community of acceptance and admission. Well, maybe at the end of Jesus' time on Shark Tank, Mark Cuban and Kate are scratching their heads. We've never had anybody on here this show like this before. So, geez, we're going to give you one last shot. Give us like your 15-second statement of what you're all about and what you're asking us to invest in. Just 15 seconds, what do you got? May I be so bold as to wonder if Jesus would say, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Repent, take up your cross, and follow me. And my guess is books would be closed, iPads would be folded, and one after the next they would say, well, I'm out, I'm out. How about you? Are you out? Are you in? Jesus says, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Repent, turn from the direction you're going, pick up your cross, there's a price tag for this deal, and follow me. Are you in or out? And once you settle that big question, whether you're in or out with Jesus, Calvary Church has another question for you too. We're a small community of Christ followers seeking to continue what Jesus started in the communities that surround our building. But we're not about a building. We're about continuing what Jesus started. Are you willing to repent, take up your cross, and walk together with us as we seek to follow Jesus? Two questions this morning. Are you in or are you out? Tell Jesus the answer to the first one. You'll show us your answer to the second one by what you sign up for inside and what you do outside this building. Let's stand and pray. Father, we recognize that the objective of reconnecting people with you and each other and with their original mission 
doesn't get a lot of traction in our culture. We realize that the structure of a body where we're not in charge, we're just servants trying to find our place and doing our work under the direction of Jesus. And the strategy of running well and continuing what Jesus started and passing that grace baton to others, boy, a lot of other things bubble up ahead of that in our world. Resources. Put our resources to benefit others and to advance what Jesus is about rather than spend them on ourselves? Well, Lord, that's what you call us to. And so I pray that we would, uh, at the beginning of this next ministry season, help us to wrestle well with what you're calling us to do and what we as a church are asking you to participate in. And will you answer him first and Calvary Church second? Are you in or are you out? Thanks, Jesus, for asking the question. Help us answer wisely. We pray in your name. Amen.